Oh, Father, what a remarkable thing this story is. Your love and our unworthiness, your grace and mercy, and our miserable need. Thank you for the great gospel. And thank you for loving us when we were most unlovely. Thank you for these good reminders in song this morning. Father, as we turn to your word, the Bible, would you help us to have surrendered hearts, open minds, help us to have tender hearts, help us to have willing minds, that we would willingly walk in obedience to your word. Father, would your Holy Spirit assist us now, even as we study the word together, that there would be clarity, uh, that we would be just able to make application to our lives in the time we have now to worship you through the study of the word. We commit ourselves to this task now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I'm sure it's no surprise to you to know that one thing pastors do is weddings. I don't think there's anywhere in the Bible that says that pastors do weddings, but pastors do weddings. And so as a result of that, young people, especially sometimes older people, young people come to me and they are to our pastors and they want us to do their wedding. And so one of the things I almost never say to someone when they ask me if I'll do their wedding is, okay, sure. What I say is, hey, let's get together and let's talk about that. And so we make an appointment and they come to my office and uh, we, uh, and it's a good time for me to meet people, and I always enjoy that, and I try to be an encouragement to them and a blessing. But early on in our conversation, I often reach down into the left-hand corner of my drawer where I keep scrap paper, and I pull out a piece of scrap paper, and I do a little artwork. And what I do is I draw a fence. I put some fence posts in the ground, and I draw a little ground scene around them, and then I put four boards on our fence as we talk. And I tell them... I will do your wedding if we can get over the wedding fence. we got to get over this fence, and then we can have a wedding. We'll schedule it, and we'll go from there. Well, let me tell you that the first board in my fence that we have to crawl over to do a wedding uh, is parental blessing. It's parental blessing. Do your parents give their blessing? I have learned, and I think it's supported in God's Word quite clearly, you know, that if your parents young people have not given their blessing to your relationship, it is almost for certain doomed, even before it begins. And so I have, as I have seasoned and grown in experience, just gotten to a point where if there's not parental blessing, we pursue that and figure it out. Or we say, you know what? We just can't move ahead. This is not God's will without the blessing of your parents. The second board in the fence is the question, is it a biblical marriage? You see, we don't just make up the rules, right? We have to do things the way God says to do them. And so is it biblical? And there's particularly two parts to this. Um, This board in our fence uh, starts with, and in a little King James lingo, is it an equal yoke? Remember, we're not supposed to be unequally yoked. That is... um, Two people who want to connect in a contractual relationship like a wedding and a marriage, it is never God's will for a born-again Christian to be married to someone who's not a born-again Christian. And we don't believe in evangelistic dating even. 
You know, you just don't do that. And, and so I asked them questions about their relationship with Christ. And are they born again? And do they understand um, God's gospel in that aspect? Okay. And so that's the first one because the Bible is clear in 1 Corinthians that there's, you know, that, that light does not have fellowship with darkness. And um, so anyway, that part. Then the second part of that board is what our sermon is about today. Uh, as we uh, understand divorce and remarriage and some aspects about that. And that is if it's a biblical marriage, does God say that this marriage is okay? Because God's the one who makes up the rules. He's the one who invented marriage. And he is the one who puts some restrictions on marriage and divorce and remarriage. And um, so that's kind of an interesting conversation as well, especially if they're more mature in age. Uh, the third and fourth board, by the way, the third board in our fence that we have to crawl over is, I call it just wisdom principles. If you get married, will it violate given wisdom principles of God's word? I added this board here a few years ago. I keep adding boards to my fence. Maybe in 10, 12 years, there'll be like eight boards in the fence. I don't know. But the wisdom board, I think, is really important because... Sometimes, especially young couples, I'll start asking them questions and, and I'll say, hey, do you, you know, do you have a job? No, but I got a lot of applications out. And, um, you know, um, my mom and dad have a basement that we're going to clean and we're going to put a little, we're going to have house down there. And, and I don't have a car, but I have a really good bicycle. And, um, and then I, I think I might join the, you know, I might join the Navy and then I can live on the ship and my wife can live at home with her parents. And then it's going to work out with base house. And somewhere along the line, uh, I just say, you know what? We're just not ready. We are just not ready. Um, it's just not wise for you to take this step when you cannot support yourself. You don't have the framework of adulthood around you. Now, the fourth board, and this is another one that I've added uh, the last few years, and is I, especially with young couples, I ask this is, are you ready to have children? Oh, and especially usually the guy, he sits back in his chair, his eyes get real wide, and he says, oh, Pastor Van, you don't understand. We're not going to have kids right away. And I lean forward and I say, how do you know? <laughs> because generally they don't want to do what, in, what it takes to ensure that you won't have children right away. And, and they don't know. And do you know that if you're not ready to have a family, you're not ready to be married? That's all there is to it. And so that's my fence, my marriage fence. And it is the second board that I want to talk about. And we're in Matthew chapter 19. Um, what makes a biblical marriage? And what happens when divorce enters the picture? And I want to say early on, and I know from my own immediate family, how divorce can enter into play and you never imagined it happening. Uh, I also recognize that Divorce touches almost every family here today. It, it, near the center of the circle of your family. I am guessing that every family here today does not have to go out to second and third cousins to find a divorce in your family. That it is common and, and that it is very real. It is problematic. It is painful. It is devastating. I recognize that. 
Can I suggest to you, though, that we have a, an elephant in the living room? We might call it the family room since we're talking about the family. The elephant in the living room is that the church hasn't done very well with its marital record. We're not doing very well with our young people. I'm talking not just about Fellowship Bible Church, but I'm talking about the church at large and the evangelical church. Some of the statistics that you see are very difficult to verify. And it's probably not true that in Bible preaching churches that the divorce rate is quite as high as the national averages, although in many churches it is true. In other words, the difference between God's people and their marital record and the people who are outside of the church and outside of walking with Christ, their marital records are not that different. It is amazing how often we deal with divorce in the church. And then that raises the question of remarriage and what is a biblical marriage? Are we, are we lawfully allowed, according to God's word, able to do this? And then our young people, our young people at a lot of levels are tracking with the world. Cohabitation in our, among our young people in the church is a problem. Who would ever imagine that? And parents seem to not know really what to do with that. They don't want to drive their children away. They tolerate things that they never thought they would tolerate. They want to be loving. They don't want to create a schism in their home and family. And all of this adds up to the erosion of the meaning and the sanctity of marriage. So I want to tell you that I approach this subject um, not with fear and trepidation because it's God's word, but not because it's a fun topic. And I also approach it knowing that it is a heartbreaking topic. And that leads us to the question, so why this topic? How about this topic? Why are we doing this, Pastor Van? I came to worship Christ today. Well, the reason that we're having this message today, number one, if you're looking at your notes, is because it's the next text that comes in Matthew. All right? And we're going through Matthew. And there you go. It's Matthew 19 next, okay? Secondly, Jesus taught it. And our Lord taught it. And, and we already know this because, and I put in parentheses there, uh, Matthew chapter 5, we have that text where Jesus was speaking in the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, we had really a very similar message to this, but I was checking on it. It was underneath um, the title, Marriage Mayhem. And I actually stole the, the basic outline from that, that message for this message. Um, and we had looked in Matthew 19 back then, but that was almost two and a half years ago. And I felt like we needed to continue to track through the text and I thought that it was in August as well. So who was here in August, right? Um, I'm, I was asking myself, why was I here in August? But um, now, thirdly, the Bible includes it. The Bible includes this text. You do know that the Bible is equally inspired from beginning to end, right? You do know that it is equally inerrant. It is equally valuable from beginning to end. And I, I do acknowledge that if you were on um, 
a, a jet plane out in the middle of the Pacific and all of a sudden the engines cut out and you're finally going to have to crash land and you're reaching for your Bible and you decide you better put your granola bars in your pocket and you decide to tear just one page out of your Bible to have some scripture with you so when you swim to the island where you're going to live for the next 10 years you at least have some, some of God's word that you probably wouldn't tear this page out of your Bible and take it with you for that. But it is equally God's word, and we're committed at Fellowship Bible Church to the whole counsel of God. There's merit and there's value. Fourthly, the world needs it. I don't have to explain to you or illustrate to you that the world is completely confused about marriage. They are trying to redefine it. They are trying to reinvent it. They are trying to do away with it. They're making up all kinds of new rules. And in fact, that indeed, the trend of the day isn't so much same-sex marriage. The trend of the day is simply no marriage at all. Why would you do that? So there's all kinds of issues here. And if the church isn't straight about marriage, how can the world ever understand marriage? We are an example, a template, light in a dark world. Fifth, marriage deserves it, doesn't it? Marriage deserves it. Marriage is such a valuable thing and such an important topic that it deserves our attention. Sixth, as I've already illustrated and emphasized, the church simply needs it. We need to deal with the elephant in the family room. This is, this is overwhelming in many ways. There are so many tentacles to this problem that I have on our list for the Elder Board of Fellowship Bible Church to deal with, at length and in depth, marriage issues. What do we do with all of these different things that are coming now to our offices? And I need the elders and the pastors to all be on the same page. How do we deal biblically with all of these things? It's complicated. And it's important for us to compassionately and carefully and lovingly be able to deal with these important issues Finally, number seven, I think that our young people need it. Young people, you have a clean slate. Not married yet, are you, Justin? You're going to get married one day, I hope. It's God's plan. He that finds a wife finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord. And you have a chance to do it well. There's no such thing as a fail-safe relationship. But you have a, a chance to do things God's way with God's blessing and to, to, to strengthen the odds that you will have a marriage that will run, as your vow will say, till death do us part. Isn't that what we want in our young people? We want to spare them the grief that many of us have experienced or we've experienced as we've watched our adult children go through it. Whatever. This is a very important topic. Well, we're in Matthew chapter 19 is our text. I found out in the 8 o'clock service this morning. And if you came in for this service, you saw also, I just can't get through this message. So it will have a part two to it next week. And we're going to get through point one today. Don't laugh. Matthew chapter 19. Here's our text. Um, now, when Jesus had finished these sayings, okay, what sayings were they? Remember, it was the church discipline passage that we just studied. It was the parable of the forgiving master and the unforgiving servant that we just dealt with in the end of chapter 18. What a fascinating passage. All right. 
Now, when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee. He now enters a new arena, the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him, and and he healed them there. So Jesus is now at celebrity status. He is not that far away from heading to Jerusalem, but the crowds are seeking him out. And he's filled with power from the Holy Spirit, and he's healing people, and everywhere he goes, he draws a crowd. He has now moved to a new region, and we're, we're getting ready for the beginning of the end of the, of the gospel of Matthew's account. And the Pharisees came up to him. We remind ourselves that way back on the Sermon on the Mount, when the crowds gathered around him, that always slinking in the crowd like hungry hyenas were the Pharisees, always trying to attack, always trying to tear down, always trying to discredit the ministry of Jesus Christ. Well, they can't do it. They can't do it today either. But notice what they do. Verse 3, and Pharisees came up to him and tested him. So we know it was a disingenuous question. They came and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Now, part of the reason why the question is divorce one's wife instead of one's wife or husband is that it was not allowed. Essentially, it was essentially unheard of for a wife to divorce her husband in this era. But the man could divorce his wife. Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And he answered, Jesus answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And he said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall hold fast or cleave to his wife, and the two shall become then one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And they said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? And he said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. And the disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. Let's just stop there. I wanted to at least get in. The the disciples clearly were stunned by this teaching. And there's a reason for that. Now for us to understand this passage, and if you'll look to your notes, you will find it helpful, I'm sure. We need to understand that when Jesus lived, about 30 AD here, that marriage was in chaos. Marriage was in chaos, and it was largely in chaos due to the fact that there was a legal technicality that had caught on, and they were fighting over that. Um, To understand this further, this legal technicality, and it had to do with writing up a certificate of divorce, you need to understand that there were two predominant schools of thought in this era. So at the time when Jesus lived and the disciples and when he's ministering here in Judea out of Galilee, that there were two major schools of rabbinical thought. The first one was from Rabbi Shammai. Rabbi Shammai had just died in A.D. 30. And he was well known and he was a very popular rabbi. But you need to understand that he was very conservative. He was very legalistic. And his position on this particular point was that divorce was rarely permissible. Rarely. It had to do with an argument over Deuteronomy chapter 24 that we will get to next week in more specifically. 
But in Deuteronomy chapter 24 is what these Pharisees are referencing, that Moses commanded them to give a divorce. Well, Moses never did. They misinterpreted scripture. Moses, and Jesus corrected it here. Moses allowed them to be divorced. He didn't command them. But it had to do with them writing up a certificate of divorce if they found um, what is roughly translated in the Hebrew marital uncleanness. So then they argued over what is, what is that uncleanness that I find in my wife? Next week we'll illustrate the absurdity of where this ends up morphing to. It was crazy. But Rabbi Shammai taught that that had to do with certain specific sexual violations in the marriage that were also listed in Levitical law. Now there's another rabbi who had died about 20 years before Jesus' public ministry, um, uh, Rabbi Hillel, and I recognize I misspelled that, Rabbi Hillel there. Um, his divorce, in his position on this topic, they wrote about all kinds of topics, and they wrote parts of the Mishnah and all kinds of things. These guys were well accepted and well followed. They're well documented in extra biblical literature. And Rabbi Hillel taught that a man could divorce his wife for essentially anything, nearly anything. And that this uncleanness that they might find in their wife that Moses talked about that had created the debate, all right, that that, that had to do with uh, almost anything they wanted. You know, they, and then the issue, in fact, let's turn to Matthew chapter 5 right now and let's check that out. Matthew chapter 5 is the passage where we started in on this topic two and a half years ago. Um, and, and it's the Sermon on the Mount. It begins with verse 27, but let's skip that. That's an interesting passage. Remember, Jesus is adding to the law. All right, No one can add to the law but God himself because he wrote the law. And Jesus is adding to the law and he's redefining the law as the Pharisees understood it. And they are majorly upset over this. And he tells them uh, back in verse 27 that you have heard it said you shall not commit adultery. That's the topic of the passage here and in Matthew 19 where we are this morning. This adultery issue. And he's saying, you know, you know. That you're not supposed to commit adultery. That is the physical act. But he narrows it down to the fact that you actually can be guilty of committing adultery with lustful thoughts in your heart. Wow. And that God sees your heart and your thoughts. All right. And then in verse 31, he talks about divorce. Matthew 5, 31. And he said, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. Okay, so it was said where? Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1, Moses gave them permission to write up a certificate of divorce, and that was to get rid of pagan wives. All right, because of the hardness of their heart, they had disobeyed God, and they had married people they never should have married. And Moses then allowed divorce. And so they took this allowance with the writing of a certificate, and, and it was so common in this day that they had heard it said that as long as, in, in other words, looking at verse 31, whoever divorces his wife, as long as he gives her a certificate of divorce. So the idea was, in other words, because this is how it had gotten, in some places a man could wake up in the morning and decide his wife wasn't looking so good or had, didn't have the nicest breakfast for him, and he could just go outside his home and he could pronounce... I am divorcing my wife. She's gone. And he could just proclaim his divorce. And they're saying, no, 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 you can't do that. You got to go downtown and fill out the paperwork. And then you can divorce her. 
And we think, wow, that's pretty bad. That's about how it is today. That's just about where we are, isn't it? I have found my soulmate. When I was young, I didn't know I would have a soulmate. And I can't live without my soulmate. And so I'm going to fill out some paperwork on you. And you are done. And I now have my soulmate. And I'm going to live happily ever after. And actually, he doesn't live happily ever after. And he finds a new soulmate. What do you know? And all kinds of reasons that we capture under the catchphrase, irreconcilable differences. Irreconcilable differences. Wow. And so this certificate became a big deal. You saw that in Matthew 5. Let's go back to Matthew 19 now. So we're under letter B of Roman number 1. Rabbi Hillel, divorce was permissible for nearly any reason. And as a result of the acceptance of Rabbi Hillel's teaching, divorce was very common in Jesus' day. As long as you did the paperwork, and that's what we just illustrated. And even the Jewish historian Josephus, who is very reputable and very reliable in the accuracy with which he recorded extra-biblical history about this era, he was a divorcee himself... And he was a Pharisee. He taught in his writings that you could get a, a man could get a divorce for any reason that he so desired. And that's pretty much reflective of our era as well, at large. So let me ask you a question. Who do you think was the most popular rabbi of the day? Rabbi Shammai or Rabbi Hillel? Guys, how many think it was Hillel? It was Hillel. Rabbi Hillel, his popularity was much greater than that of Shammai. And that is probably the reason that the Pharisees approached Jesus with this question. Remember it said that they had come to test him. They were not looking for information. They were trying to poke him in the eye. And there's a couple thoughts on this. It doesn't say it in the text. But at the least... They knew that the masses of people who had gathered around were followers of Hillel. They knew that Shammai wasn't very popular and they were guessing that Jesus would line up with, an, with a narrow definition of divorce by sexual impurity of, of some kind in the marriage bed that Shammai taught and that he would be unpopular with the Hillel followers if he identified with Shammai. So at the least... They could get the people to turn against him on this point. It is also speculated by some that it wasn't that long ago, remember, that old John the Baptist got his head cut off by what? By criticizing the marital record and the illegal, unlawful relationship of Herod himself and divorcing and living with his brother's wife and so forth and so on. And there is some speculation, and it's just speculation, but it's interesting that the Pharisees were trying to get Jesus to go off on marriage and use Herod as an illustration like John the Baptist did and maybe get his head cut off for that. Ah, but I can give you some advice. Never try to put Jesus in a corner. <laughs> He's not cornerable. Now look what happens. Let's see what Rabbi Jesus says, okay? So now Rabbi Jesus. We know about Rabbi Shammai, Rabbi Hillel, and that is the, the historical, cultural foundation of the passage. Now look what happens. So he answered, and it's a question. Do you see it? So the, so the Pharisees say, can a man get divorced for any reason? Thinking, maybe if you fill out your certificate. And Jesus answers and says what? He asks a question. Hey, have you not read? Oh, man. 
See, we cannot appreciate the poke in the eye that that was to the Pharisees. Are you kidding me? That's like asking the librarian if he knows what a book is. The Pharisee doesn't do anything but read and memorize and, and expound on what the scriptures say. And so Jesus says, haven't you read the book? You mean there's a book you haven't read? Oh, man, they didn't like that. I'm sure they didn't like that. It's, the same. it's like you missed the whole point if you didn't read the book. So Jesus, in, in great Jesus shoopy fashion, doesn't give a direct answer to the question. He asks another question. Haven't you read the book? And furthermore, what the book says, he's going to go on and this country bumpkin wannabe rabbi, in their opinion, is going to expound to them what the book says. You haven't read? Haven't you read? Here's what it says. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? Duh. And he said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall hold fast or cleave to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. That's what Jesus answers with. Oh, okay. So we ask you a question and look what he gives them. He starts quoting Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, and Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. Now, here's what they understood. First of all, what they understood is that marriage, the marriage union, number one in Jesus' answer, is that if you want to understand divorce, you need to understand that the marriage union was modeled by a female and a male in Adam and Eve. What's the point? The Pharisees understood completely what he was saying. Because in the, in the Greek construction of the sentence, that's, that's the emphasis of it. Have you not heard that there was a male and a female? In other words, don't you know that when Adam and Eve got married, there wasn't anybody to divorce and remarry? So the model that we have is for one man, one woman, and that's it. And the one man and one woman wasn't just like guesswork on God's part either. And I would suggest that pretty much everybody in this room knows that. So the point is, we look to Adam and Eve, and you can talk about divorce and what it's going to take to melt down this marriage, but don't you know that when we look at the origin and the design of marriage, it was a man and a woman, and there was no one else to, to divorce and remarry. Secondly, what he wants them to understand is that marriage is a greater Marriage is greater than the parent-child relationship. I know that you, I didn't give you much room to write the word greater, right? Small. <laughs> Marriage is a greater relationship than the parent-child. Now, what does this have to do with the question, can I just get divorced anytime I want? So what are you saying? So look what he says. He made them male and female, so they only had each other. There was no one else to remarry or divorce. And, he's, and as a result of that, he said, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. In other words, okay, you want to talk about melting down marriage relationships. You need to understand that the marriage relationship trumps the parent-child relationship. So wait a minute. I love my mama. Don't mess with my mama. My daddy, he's okay, but my mom, don't mess with my mom. No, you know what he's saying? You want to look at marriage and what makes a marriage is you've got to leave your father and your mother. That's that 
third board in my marriage fence that you got to crawl over. That's, that's what I was saying. You got to get your own refrigerator. And you got to get your own garage. And you got to get your own lawnmower. And you're going to pay your own electric bill. And if you can't do that, you're not ready to be married. You see? But what the point is taken by the Pharisees is that I would never think of divorcing my mama. I would not divorce my mom and dad. But I have left my mom and dad and I now cling to my wife. And if I wouldn't think of divorcing my mom and dad, why would I divorce my spouse? This relationship of a husband and wife is in God's eyes stronger than genetics. It's stronger than DNA. It is a whole new home unit. And so the second reason Jesus gives the Pharisees in their answer, okay, you want to divorce your you want to divorce for any reason? Well, you wouldn't divorce your mom and dad. You can't divorce your wife. How are you going to do this? It is that kind of a relationship. I think that's what his point is. Thirdly, marriage by design is permanent. Marriage by design is permanent. Look what he says. He says, so it was engineered and designed at the drafting table of heaven to be permanent. That's it. And the two shall become one flesh. And they are no longer two, but they are one. In other words, how do you separate that which is one? One doesn't separate. Two separate. One doesn't separate. All right? And so you have here, and I've used this illustration many times, the idea of composite unity. Composite or multiple parts in unity. And he's quoting from Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. Okay, so you wouldn't run down to Home Depot, right? You would run down to Home Depot, but you wouldn't run down to Home Depot and go in and ask the guy, Hey... I need a piece of uh, a six-piece plywood. He said, uh, you mean six pieces of plywood? No, that six-piece plywood. You don't talk like that. You mean you want one sheet of plywood that has six layers that are glued together. That's what makes plywood. Plywood is an illustration of composite, many parts, unity. I go down. I buy one sheet of plywood. Now, be careful at Home Depot because he'll go looking for the six-piece plywood. But you help him out when you're there. If you work at Home Depot, I'm with you. I shop there all the time, even though. So you got one sheet of plywood, and you buy it, and you go home, and you got your composite unity, and then you decide, I have an idea. I'm going to take my plywood, and I'm going to split it edgewise. And you run into the garage and you get your handy dandy Eagle Scout hatchet for making kindling and you get your plywood and you start to split it and you think to yourself, my, this isn't splitting very well. Why? Because it's one piece. It's composite pieces who are now one. It was never designed to be split. And what happens when you try to split plywood? You know what happens if you've been through a divorce. It shatters. It's devastating and it ruins everything and it's horrible and it doesn't work well at all. Right? There it is. So that's what Jesus is saying. You're telling me you're looking for a reason to divorce and I'm telling you it wasn't designed to ever come apart. You're looking for a reason to pull it apart or how to pull it apart and I'm telling you it wasn't designed to pull apart. It doesn't pull apart. It only pulls apart with extreme disastrous results. Always. Fourthly, and this is perhaps the most powerful point of all this morning, 
He said, so the two become one. They cleave, leave and cleave and become one. Now in verse 6, so they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Uh Uh-oh. This is really the big gun of his answer. You're looking for reasons what you can separate. You're looking for me to identify with Shammai or Hillel. And I'm telling you, you got no business tearing apart because God put it together. It was designed as a spiritual act of God not to be undone. Marriage is a spiritual act of God not to be undone. So his argument, Jesus is, his argument is that Adam and Eve couldn't have gotten divorced. There was no one else to divorce or remarry. Secondly, that you wouldn't divorce your mom and dad and you've left your mom and dad and you now have a more important relationship than your parents even. And thirdly, that it's permanent by design. It's not designed to come apart. And fourthly, God himself put it together. And if God put it together, you're going to undo it? You're nuts. So when we do weddings, and the father's involved, he brings the bride down. The old groom standing here thinks he's cool. <laughs> Has no idea what he's getting into. <laughs> and he sees his beautiful bride. And you stop right here in the front row. You stop at the edge of the chair. So if this will help me out with my, my wedding rehearsals. All you young people stop right here, even with the front step, front of the chairs. And I'm standing here. And we give away. And what a significant moment, isn't it? When there's been a father who's raised his daughter and he's transferring and he goes to sit down. This Yahoo's going to take his daughter. There it is. And and then we talk a little bit and we pray a little bit. And then I turn to walk up on the platform and the cue. This is helpful, too. When the pastor's foot hits the top of the platform, that's when the bride and groom move. And, And I come here. And we all come up on the platform and they're going to stand here and hold each other's hands and they're going to do their vows, aren't they? And this is the part that God does. Now we rehearse some words, right? But Jesus said, God joins them together. He didn't give an explanation. He didn't say how that happens. He didn't say what happens. He didn't say you got to go on the honeymoon and consummate the marriage. Then it's real. He said, God put them together. And I teach young couples that it's at this moment when they make their vows in front of their families and their friends. And God himself does a spiritual thing. And that when we pronounce them husband and wife and they walk down this aisle and they go out, they are married, married. They're not like sort of married. They're not like married and you can still annul it for 24 hours. You are married, married. Because why? Because God joined them together in a spiritual ceremony. And you say, wow, wow. And the Pharisees look at him and say, hey, man, if we fill out the paperwork, can't we get divorced if we want? And he says, haven't you read the book? Haven't you read? Do you not know anything about what you're talking about? You see? It's huge, isn't it? It's huge. Do you see why 
we say the sanctity of marriage. The sanctity of marriage. Young people, are you getting this? It's God's word. It's not Pastor Van. It's how it really is. It's outside is not really how it is. They're wrong. They're messed up. They're a train wreck. This is how it works. This is what God designed. You need to humble your hearts. Take it in. Listen to Jesus' instruction on marriage. Uh, So we're going to stop right here. And we have many unanswered questions. Because divorce is in the equation. So then what do we do? What do we do? Well, let's stand together and let's bow our heads, shall we? You know, while we stand quietly for just a moment, if you've never been married, no matter your age, and especially if you're a young person who's never been married, I think it would be really a good time right now for you to commit to God's instruction for marriage. One man, one woman for life. With parental blessing, within parameters of biblical obedience, fulfilling wisdom principles, mature enough to enter into that relationship and have children, and by God's grace, and ask Him right now, would you? If you're eight years old, pray right now that God would give you the, the greatest spouse. And that he would bless your marriage. And parents, would you pray for your children right now? Grandparents. That our boys and girls would grow up. Have blessed marriages and homes. It can happen. I know there's many who have experienced the shattering disastrous results of divorce. You're not a second-class citizen at all. We do have a God of new beginnings. Some of you need to be prompted not to make the same mistakes over and over. You need to surrender this aspect of your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, that he would bless you for your future. And it's possible you'll find that some of us are not even in a remarriageable situation. And then we need to ask God to show us how to live in purity and godliness. So, Father, whatever the application here, and as your Holy Spirit sees fit to convict and to drive home particulars, we would just humble our hearts as a church. And ask you to bless our homes and our marriages and our children. Help us as husbands to love our wives as Christ loved the church. Gave himself up for her. As wives to willingly submit in that beautiful role of helper. Equal in essence and importance. Different in roles. Show us, teach us, grow us, heal us, heal broken hearts here today, Lord. Heal shattered lives. 
May your word accomplish its purpose even as we continue our study another day. We commit ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen.